At Evanston Bible Fellowship, we are not a pastor-led church, but we are an elder-led church, which means that God has ordained that elders lead the church pastorally, uh, theologically, uh, relationally. And I've asked Ben Mangridge to come up here this morning and read you uh, an encouraging word and from the elders and also to pray for us. Morning, all. So since the presidential election last week, the elders have been discussing how to provide pastoral care and leadership to EBF through this tumultuous time in our nation. We've spoken with a number of our church family who are hurting and who have emotions have been rightfully stirred up through this process. Uh, We are grieved, however, by the deep division, mistrust, and animosity that has been visible uh, in our country and in our church. We've sought counsel from diverse voices within the congregation, and we are prayerfully considering the best way forward. What is clear is that this moment presents a great test and a great opportunity for our church. Will we grow in maturity and unity as we listen to one another, search the scriptures, and humbly pursue genuine dialogue? Or will our discourse simply mirror the fractured shouting of the world around us? As Pastor Jason has said before, as Christians, we are ultimately monarchists. We serve King Jesus above all else. We are one family with Christ as our center, and we can be united without minimizing or ignoring the very important issues at hand. Uh, This season is a chance for our church to be different, a time for us to model to the world a better way of living together. Toward that end, the elders have selected a few verses that we hope will guide our conversations as we continue to discuss these issues in the halls of our church, in our ethos communities, or over a cup of coffee. James 1.19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Colossians 3.12-14 says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all else, or and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And John 17.20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So, let's talk, let's listen, let's pray, and let's allow this moment in our nation's politics to make us better disciples of Jesus and closer members of the same church family. Please join me in prayer. King Jesus, we pray that EBF can show the world what it looks like to live together as a diverse fellowship from different backgrounds, united under the Lordship of Christ. We lift up our country. We ask that you continue your redeeming work started through the blood of Jesus. We pray for peace, justice, mercy, truth, joy, and love to abound in Evanston, in America, in the broader world. Father, we lift up our leaders and our future leaders to you, whom you have allowed to govern in your sovereignty. We ask that you use them for good and not for evil. And finally, we ask for wisdom, wisdom to how to engage our world and one another in grace and also action 
and wisdom for how to best love one another as you command us. As sojourners in this world, help us to live in such a way to build your kingdom above all. Amen. As you approach the holidays, I know that many of you are at this point in the semester, if you're not in school, at this point of the year, uh, many of you are just worn out and stressed. And right now, if I talk to you, you'd probably say that your life feels a little chaotic and out of control. Some of you are trying to make plans for the future, and it's not so clear. And some of you have this looping thought of fear. Some of you have fear of going home for the holidays and interacting with your family. Uh, others of you are struggling relationally in your marriage. And for those of you, uh, even in some of your dating relationships, it's not going so well. And others are really bothered, especially this time of the year, uh, that, you're, that you're single and you want God to speed things up in your life. Uh, there are others of you that are deep in some temptations uh, that seem great and overwhelming. And if I talk to some of you, some of you are just suffering right now, not just emotionally and mentally, but some of you are suffering in your bodies physically. And as I think about all these things and struggles within our congregation, especially this time of year, uh, you kind of wonder, what's going to help? What can be a good remedy? And I'm not saying this is going to fix everything, but I think what we all need right now is we need a, a vision of God on the throne. We need this heavenly vision of, of God on the throne to navigate this chaotic earth. And I'm not saying this is going to fix everything that once you get this vision, everything's fixed in your life. But what it's doing, it's showing you who is in control of the chaos you are experiencing. One of the ways you can think about it is like this. I was reading some guy recently. He, he explained it like this. You go to a busy airport, like many of you will do in two or three days, And as you are at a a busy airport, a casual observer looking out the window sees planes and vehicles and and baggage going every which way. But if the observer is escorted up into the control tower, he can see all over the plan of the airport and he can hear the directives going out to execute the plan of the controllers. Suddenly all the going-ons down below make sense. That's the way it is with a heavenly vision of God on his throne. You are transported to the control tower for the entire universe. And from this vantage point, as we understand the controller and his plans, things fall into place. Because as we know that his plans cannot and will not fail. No matter what you're going through right now, no matter what you're dealing with, when you get a vision of God on his throne and in control and you worship him, you watch. Things may not get fixed, but you will start to get perspective. And you have hope. And maybe renewal will start to flood your life. That's the vision we have today as we go back to the book of Revelation. So let's do this. Revelation chapter 4. Revelation 4. We have a vision of God on his throne. Let's go ahead and stand as I read to you Revelation 4.
After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnean, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones are 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. You may be seated. throne room of God is real. This is not fake. This is real. This past Wednesday, from a five to nine, I did a little bit of babysitting. I babysat this little baby named Kyle. I fed the baby Kyle, changed baby Kyle's diaper. I rocked baby Kyle. But get this, baby Kyle was not real. My daughter, who is a junior in high school, had one of these projects where she brought home one of these electronic babies. <laughs> Anybody ever do that before? Some of you? Yeah. And she's like, Dad, I got to work. Can you babysit? <laughs> and so I'm babysitting. I know it's not a real baby because if it was a real baby, I would just put on a, a baby Einstein video the whole time. But I, <laughs> that didn't work for baby Kyle. So it was fake. When you read this, this is real. This is not fake. God is on his throne. John is actually shown this glorious realm of heaven in which the Lord God Almighty is worshipped in all of his majesty. And the contrast between what is going on in heaven and uh, on earth is amazing because on earth so far we have chaos, evil, pain, uh, but soon to be vast judgment. We've seen all these churches and they're dealing with false teachers. They're dealing with persecution. They're dealing with compromised actions. There is chaos on this earth. But we have this contrast going on of this heavenly vision of God on his throne. On the earth, the church is experiencing the rule of Rome and the crushing Roman rulers. And then in heaven, the contrast, we see God, the sovereign God on his throne. The chaos on the earth as their, their lives are suffering. And then we have the eternal God on his throne. On this earth, we have a variety of people trying to hurt us. 
We have problems, tensions, and yet we have the sovereign God on his throne. That's what we need to see is that God is on his throne in control. He knows what he's doing. No matter how chaotic and messed up your life is, God is sovereign and in control. That's where we're going this morning. I don't know if you've ever read Revelation 4 before, but this uh, imagery we're going to find in here is also in the Old Testament. We don't have time to cover it this morning, but if you have some personal study time or with your ethos, I'm going to give you some uh, passages you might want to look at. Isaiah 6, Ezekiel 1, and Daniel 7, 9 through 14. That's Isaiah 6, Ezekiel 1, Daniel 7, 9 through 14. You can look on those on your own. But let's go ahead and jump into Revelation this morning. Verse four, chapter 4, verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speak to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. I know there are a lot of accounts of near-death experiences where people say they went to heaven. And over the last few years, there have been a lot of books that have come out that I would classify those books as heaven tourism books. And I just want to tell you, don't build your theology on heaven tourism books. Build your theology on the word of God. John tells us what heaven is like. He says here, there is this door standing open in heaven. And Jesus has this voice like a loud trumpet. He says, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. If you remember from uh, John, uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, remember when Jesus says, Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. The things that you, John had seen so far were chapter 1. Those that, that are are going to be going on to the, the chapters 2 and chapter 3. But those that are to take place after this are chapter 4 through the end of the book. Jesus is about to show John what is going to happen, and he starts by bringing him up into heaven and giving him this vision of God on the throne. Verse 2. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. John clearly sees a throne in heaven. <laughs> Someone once said that, that Revelation could be called the throne book. As throne is mentioned 45 times in Revelation and only 15 times in the rest of the New Testament. The main focus is one seated on the throne. That is God in absolute sovereignty. He's ruling with absolute control, power, might, and dominion. And John now describes seeing God in terms of light. Verse 3. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper, red, yellow, brown, green, and carnelian, reddish, brown, which is reddish, brown, orange. And around the throne was a, a rainbow that had the appearance of, it, of emerald, which is green. John is trying to describe what he's seeing, and, he, and he's describing it in terms of light. You ever thought about that before? Bible describes the vision of God as in light. And Psalm 104.2, as he's covered with light as with a garment. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.16 that God dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see. 
And John 1.5 talks about God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And in this passage we have a variety of colors but I don't think that the colors have the significance of meaning. Perhaps the rainbow does to remind you of God's wrath and God's mercy. But the main emphasis is that John is seeing God in his glory as color is radiating from his appearance and around the throne as God is seated permanently as a sovereign judge over all he has created. He is in control. He is on the throne. This is, do you understand why he's writing this? This is so important. The churches are in chaos. There is persecution. There are false teachers. They're in chaos. Jesus corrects them, and he says, look, God is on his throne and in control. People often ask me, they'll ask me, say, hey, um, Jason, what's it like to have six kids? And my answer is drama and trauma. Drama and trauma. Uh, that's often, well, there's eight people in our house, my wife and I and six kids. There's just drama and trauma going on. Just If it's not drama, it's trauma. If it's not trauma, it's drama. It's just something's always going on. And perhaps, I don't know if my kids ever think this, perhaps they think, you know, there is a lot of drama and trauma going on here, but at least mom and dad know what they're doing. Now, if you're parents, you know that is not the case. Because my wife and I are like, we have no idea. What should we do? And I think about your life, you might use the terms that your life is full of drama and trauma. Drama and trauma. But unlike my wife and I, God is in control and he knows what he's doing in your life when you face that drama and when you face that trauma. He is seated as the sovereign one who knows what he's doing. Look at verse 4. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. 24 elders, 24 thrones. In the Old Testament, you have 24 priests who would worship before the Lord and represent Israel. But who do these 24 represent here? Some think that these 24 are angels, but others think they are redeemed humans. I tend to think they are redeemed humans. Perhaps they represent the Christians redeemed out of the tribulation. Some think the 24 elders represent the 12 tribes of Israel as well as the 12 disciples encompassing all of the Old and New Testament believers. Whoever they represent, I want you to notice that these elders are clothed in white garments. I like to think of the righteousness of Christ given to believers by faith. And they have golden crowns on their heads. This is rewards from Christ for enduring in faithfulness. In just a few moments, we'll see what they do with these crowns. Verse 5. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. This is great imagery of, of God's glorious presence which are seen in the past at the giving of the law at Mount Sinai with flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. You have God in his holiness, a God of judgment who will soon strike the earth in judgments and wrath 
Uh, Revelation 8.5 says this. Revelation 8.5 says, And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder and rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Judgment is coming. And if you stick with this and do not bail in the book of Revelation, you will see that judgment is coming. And some of you may wonder, why does it come now? Why doesn't God bring judgment now? Why doesn't he come and just wrap this whole thing up? Because he's patient. He's letting his mercy extend a bit longer so that people may come to repentance and faith in Jesus. But do not mistake his delay as if he will never do anything. Judgment is coming. And we know from this verse that somehow the Holy Spirit is in the mix. I've never thought about this before, but somehow the Holy Spirit is in the mix. Look again at verse 5. Verse 5 talks about burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. We know from Revelation 1-4 that the seven spirits before his throne is a reference to the Holy Spirit and his completeness or fullness before the throne of God. And this imagery of seven torches are not just a representation of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit as an instrument of judgment. One scholar put it like this. In this passage, we see the Holy Spirit is God's war torch. The Holy Spirit is God's war torch. The Holy Spirit is the comforter of those who love Christ, will be the consumer of those who reject Christ. The comfort of those who love Christ will be the consumer of those who reject Christ. I never thought about the Holy Spirit in that, in that way until I saw this passage. Let's continue on with these descriptions before the throne. This is my favorite description of heaven and the throne is in verse 6. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. As it were, which means it looks like a sea of glass. This is my, one of my favorite parts. And, and a great description I've seen of the sea of glass. This is awesome. This sea of glass is like the, the floor the floor of heaven, and the ceiling of the created universe. It's like this, uh, this transparent tranquility shows, shows heaven's peace, and below is the turmoil on earth. So in heaven, you have God and his sovereignty, holiness, tranquility, peace of heaven, and below the sea of glass is chaos. And I was trying to think of a way to, uh, that may help this. And just think about on a plane. You're on a plane. It's a cloudy day dark out. It's in the morning, but it's just dark and cloudy. And you take off through the darkness, and then you start to break through the clouds. Has this ever happened before? You break through the clouds, and boom, there's the sun. It's beautiful. It's clear. And you see the darkness below. I think that's the image here that the believers are to see, that in the midst of their chaos, God is on his throne in his holiness and his righteousness and he knows what he is doing. Look at some of the other descriptions. Branch out here, branch out here. Verse 6b, the second part. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. 
The first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings are full of eyes all around and within. Wow. I'd like to see some of you artists draw that one up. That's impressive. That is impressive. And that's nothing new. We have those imagery in the Old Testament in Ezekiel chapter 1 and Isaiah 6. You have these living creatures full of eyes in front and behind and all around. Who, who are these six-wing creatures? It's probably best to see them as the highest order of angels. You'll see them described as the cherubim in Ezekiel or the seraphim in Isaiah. And it has been suggested that the specifics of these creatures from all the eyes to the lion, the ox, the man, and the eagle somehow reflect or represent something true of God. As there's eyes all around, that means God can see everything. And the four faces of God's character. Let me share with you a little bit about what I read this week. When we see this concept of face like a lion, we see that God is noble and he is royal and he's fast like a lion. Or an ox, massive, patient, slow-serving strength. Or a human being, he has a sensitivity and spirituality that we can see in a human. Or an eagle in flight, you can think about the soaring transcendence. God, in all of his majesty, sees all. He's being worshipped. Look at them worship him. Verse 8. And day and night, these cherubim are seraphim. Day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The central focus of these angels is to adore and worship God. They are constantly praising God's holiness. They're praising his power and they're praising his eternity. He is holy. He is God Almighty. He was and is and is to come. And, and notice they, they, they are praising him. I love this part. They are praising and thanking him just for who he is. Verse 9. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever. We can just stop there. So they're not even praising him and thanking him for anything that he's done yet. They're just praising and thanking him for who he is in his holiness, in his power, in his eternality. Have you ever done that before? During your prayer time, where you leave yourself aside and you just praise and thank God for who he is. Have you ever got just so caught up in who God is and his character? And Lord, I just praise you and I just worship you. You are holy. You are set apart from sinners in your awesome holiness. God, you are powerful. You have the greatest strength. You can do anything you want. I worship you and your almighty power. And God, you are from eternity, past, present, future. God, you are eternal. I praise you that you are in control of this universe. You have brought it into existence. I praise you for who you are in and of yourself. Do that. Do that, dear, in some of your prayer times. Put your list aside. Put everything that you want to ask aside. Bring it up later and say, God, right now I'm just going to take some time and I'm going to start worshiping you for who you are and your holiness and your power and might and your eternal existence. You're getting caught up with who God is. Verse 9. Look again. So whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne who lives forever and ever, 
Now the 24 elders get in on the action. They fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. These elders take their crowns, their, these rewards, throw it down worshiping God and all of his power and might for who he is. And even in his creation and sustaining creation, there is worship and praise going up to God. And this scene that John is let in on is communicated to the churches and they are to find comfort. Comfort for God's oppressed people that throughout time, God is in control. He's still working out his plan. He's still holding on to them in the midst of the storm. Did you catch that? God is still on his throne, even right now. He is in control. He's working out his plan. Sometimes you don't understand what that is, but he's still in control. Sometimes you're wondering, okay, God, you may be working it out for someone else. I'm not so sure about me. God is still on his throne, working out his sovereign plan for your good, believer. He loves you. He's got a plan. And he's trying to get you to caught up in worshiping him and trusting him no matter what. And if this is the scene in heaven in Revelation 4 and the scene that's going on now and the scene that's going to be repeated for eternity, then I think we should be those who worship God. Those who find that he is worthy of our worship, allegiance, and praise. And I really think we should be in awe of our Father. We should be in awe of who our Heavenly Father is. I heard a story this past week about this uh, little girl. Her name is uh, Diane Disney, and I didn't know if it was a true story or not. You know, sometimes people tell stories, I don't know if it's true, so I went up online and found it. It is, this is the case. So Diane Disney, you know, the daughter, uh, one of the daughters of, of, of Walt Disney. So she was six years old. She went to school, she stood up in class, and she introduced herself as Diane Disney. Class starts freaking out. They're, they're happy. They're cheering. She starts crying. She has no idea what's going on. And the teacher goes up to her and says, what, what's wrong? We're, we're, the, the kids aren't mad at you. They're, they're happy for you. And she was so confused. And the teacher said, do you, do you not understand? She said, no. And the teacher said, what's, what's your dad's name? She said, Walter and then the class starts freaking out again. They're, they're so happy. And she's like, do you, do you get that? Your dad is Walt Disney. Walt Disney's your dad. She's like, Walt Disney's my dad? So she goes home to her dad and she says, are you Walt Disney? <laughs> she said, yeah, I'm, I'm Walt Disney. But you, I'm just your dad. You can call me daddy. And she says that for several months, she would walk around the house in awe of who her father was. And I do think that's how we should be with our father. We should be in awe of who our father is. But get this. It's awe with access we have access to our Abba Father. And we have access to our Father through his son, Jesus, who provided access. So we have the awe 
And then we say, Abba, Father, we can come into your presence through faith in the finished work of your son on the cross, the burial, and the resurrection. We can, we can, don't be, don't be timid. The Bible says that you can come and you can come near to God because you have access and you can come with, with boldness and confidence. Not because you're something awesome and you've done. No, because you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. One of my favorite uh, verses in the Bible that's combined about the throne room of God. Let me, let me put it up for you. It's from Hebrews. This Hebrews verse says, Let us then with confidence, you hear? Draw near to the throne of grace. That throne we just saw in Revelation 4. Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So God, so think about this. God, holy, perfect, stand in awe. But check it out, children of the Almighty God. Through Christ, confident access. And you can come into his presence. And I, you can say, Father, Father, Abba, Father, I need help. I need help in the midst of this crazy chaos I'm experiencing. And I know some of you, it sounds kind of funny to say drama and trauma, but some of you are really feeling that. That describes your life. Maybe that describes your marriage right now. It is just way too much drama turning into to trauma, and you've got to bring that before your father. And so if you're raising kids right now, and it is drama, and even when they move out of the house, it can still be drama and trauma. Bring that, come before your father in awe with access. No matter what's going on right now, you have access to this God we just saw in Revelation 4. You have access to your Father. Stand in awe and worship Him, but run to Him with confidence and pour out your needs. Pour out your worship. And be encouraged that no matter what is going on right now, no matter how chaotic it feels, God is in control and He's saying, come on, come to me. Are you weary? Are you burdened? Come on. Feels like way too much. You can handle. Come on. Bring that to me. And so I say, let's do that. Let's be the confident ones. Confident in Jesus Christ to run to the throne of our Father and be in awe and realize that's our Abba. That's where we have access. Let's do that right now. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for who you are right now in your holiness. No sin in you. No stain. You're perfect. We praise you in your might. You are powerful. You are awesome. And we praise you that you were never created but have existed for eternity. And we thank you for the access that we have through Jesus where the Bible says that we can now approach your throne boldly we can approach your throne with confidence and Lord I do pray for some of my brothers and sisters right now who who really are in the midst of a relationship struggle and, and I know some of them are just in the marriage relationship struggle and I just ask Lord that you bring healing and mercy and grace I know some people in here are really nervous about going home for the holidays because that's just filled with drama and trauma. And Lord, I just ask that you would let them know that you're in control and that they would come to you
and all of their fears, let them know that you are with them. Father, thank you so much that you are the sovereign one that has control of everything. And we can think about you being control over governments and the rising and falling of leaders and nations and history. But Lord, remind us that you are in control also of our lives, our personal lives. And you care about us. May we be those who are in awe and take advantage of this great access we have to your presence. Through and in Jesus we pray. Amen.